Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, October 7th, 2022. I'm John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. This is probably the last time I'm going to tell you this because we are almost at capacity. But if you uh, have been listening to me talk to you for the last two months about the Barry Weiss Roast Commentary's annual fundraising event in New York on Sunday, November 13th, and you want to attend to hear brilliant roasting comedians, celebrity guests that you'll be very surprised by, um, leading American politicians, and others, uh, both uh, celebrating and teasing uh, Barry Weiss. Uh, Pretty much you got to do it in the next couple of days or we're just not going to have any room left for you. So go to commentary.org slash roast for details Sunday, November 13th here in New York City. And with me as always, have I introduced myself again? I did, right? Okay, so with me as always, Executive Editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Uh, Media Commentary Columnist and American Enterprise Institute Fellow, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And Associate Editor and Author of Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, John. Hi, Noah. (laughs) Um. So I thought I'd start today because of the nature of the news today, simply by reading off the items that are contained within what is one of the best morning aggregator newsletters uh, on earth, John Ellis's news items, and uh, look it up uh, uh, if you get a chance, news items at Substack. Dot com. John Ellis, a long time, he ran the Fox News Decision Desk for many years and um, is an all-around uh, uh, great guy. And he does this really fantastic newsletter every morning. Um, a lot of it's about China. A lot of it's about finance. Um, so this is a way of, of deep diving into things that you might not otherwise pay that much attention to. But today's is particularly striking because... Um, uh here here are the items in i'm not going to read everything because it's too long uh item number one president joe biden yesterday said that the risk of nuclear armageddon is at the highest level since the 1962 missile crisis number two from euro intelligence let us assume that vladimir putin in some desperate last ditch maneuver deploys a tactical nuclear weapon in ukraine um this would produce the mother of all financial crises says Euro Intelligence. No sane investors will continue to lend money to any European government at this point. That's number two. Number three, from Walter Russell Mead's column in the uh, in the Wall Street Journal, from Mr. Putin's point of view, in a war in which almost everything is going wrong, nuclear blackmail is working. Why wouldn't he double down on the one tactic that works? Number four, the head of the United Nations Nuclear Agency yesterday warned that staff at Europe's largest nuclear power plant which is, of course, the Zaporizhia plant in southeastern Ukraine, are under increasing pressure after Russian authorities attempted this week to deepen their control over the plant, posing a heightened safety risk. Number five, flush with recent battlefield successes, Ukrainian officials are pressing their case for acquiring longer-range missiles. Number six, Russia's floundering invasion of Ukraine has produced an extraordinary barrage of criticism from supporters of the war in recent days. Number seven, Larry Summers, in an interview published 
uh, yesterday with Martin Wolf of the Financial Times. I can remember previous moments of equal or even greater gravity for the world economy, but I cannot remember moments when there were as many separate aspects and as many cross-currents as there are right now. Number eight, a record number of Chinese cities reported COVID cases during the National Day holiday, prompting a new round of restrictions. Number nine, overseas money continues to flow out of Chinese stocks and bonds as a rapidly cooling economy and interest rate shifts drive investment to other destinations. Number 10, investors poured the most money into cash since April 2020 on fears of a looming recession. Number 11, the battle between Asia and Europe to lock in gas supplies is stepping up a gear, heightening the risks of a further surge in prices that would add fresh fuel to the cost of living crisis. Number 12, also from Euro Intelligence, the canary in the coal mine for the Euro area's housing markets is starting to keel over. Number 13, the scenes that unfolded at Sharif University in Iran on Sunday afternoon were some of the most shocking in the three weeks of protests calling for an end to the Islamic Republic's um, uh, rule that have convulsed Iran. Number 14, the U.S. military yesterday announced that it had conducted two raids in Syria within a day of each other killing two key ISIS targets and their associates. Number 15, a major hack targeting Mexico's defense industry has shed light on the country's most secretive and powerful institution. Number 16, Alberta conservatives elected a sovereignty advocate who railed against vaccine mandates to lead Canada's biggest oil-producing province. Number 17, worried by an outbreak of Ebola in Uganda. Number 18, the hottest place in our solar system is not the sun. This is pretty exciting. But a machine near South, a South Oxfordshire village called Cullum, where there is a nuclear fusion experiment going on called JET, or Joint European Taurus, and apparently it's working. Number 19, a new AI system can create natural-sounding speech and music after being prompted with a few seconds of audio. So that is just this morning in John Ellis's news items newsletter, and I just want to go back, crawl into bed, pull the covers over my head, and just wait for, you know, the sweet meteor of death. I want to go live inside a mountain. That's so much... (laughs) Where do I want to go first? I know where I want to go. But I just want to say, you know, when when news metastasizes, when you have China um, cracking down on COVID, when you have investors fleeing to cash, when you have um, the president of the United States musing about whether he is now John F. Kennedy yet again because uh, he's facing a crisis that he stupidly is likening to the Cuban Missile Crisis when, you know, when you have uh, Larry Summers saying that there have never been these kinds of pressures on the world economy before, when you have uh, the Eurozone about to go into a, you know, a, a terrible crunch between housing, inflation, and energy, and all of that, we are, um, this is reminiscent of the opening pages in some ways of Henry Kissinger's White House years, where Nixon comes into office and Kissinger and Nixon, they look around and every place on earth is a fire. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like there's a border war between China and Russia. There's a soccer war between El Salvador and Nicaragua. There's, I mean, it's just like anywhere you turn, embassies are on fire. You know, it's like they're like, oh, and of course, Vietnam was going on. And it's like, oh, my God, what have we gotten ourselves into? Okay, Noah. All right. Let's do Biden. 
So, dear listeners of the Commentary Podcast, those of you who have been paying thankful and close attention this week have noted that one of the things I said this week that we need urgently to do is to have a national conversation, even a presidential-led conversation, about nuclear deterrence. What does it look like? What does it entail? What's the flow chart? How would a crisis unfold? And what would our responses be? To avoid the prospect of unnecessary panic in the event that we do have a standoff crisis, which has happened in history, as Joe Biden noted, and we do know how to navigate, although it's not really happened very often and it's a very dangerous situation. But the idea here is to make this, you know, something that is navigable and reassure the public, which is precisely the opposite of what Joe Biden did last night. I want to give you the quotes verbatim. Um, speaking at a Democratic fundraiser, closed door, no cameras, Joe Biden said, quote, Putin is not joking when he talks about potential use of tactical nuclear weapons or biological or chemical weapons because his military is, you might say, significantly underperforming. I don't think there's any such thing as the ability to easily use a tactical nuclear weapon and not end up with Armageddon. We are going to continue to support Ukraine, but for the first time since the Cuban Missile Crisis, we have the direct threat of the use of a nuclear weapon. In fact, things continue down the path that they're going. That's a different deal. Are we trying to give Putin an off? This is Biden continuing. Trying to give Putin an off ramp. Where does he get off? Where does he find a way out? Where does he find himself in a position that he does not only face the, but does not only lose face, but lose significant power with Russia? Biden did not complete the thought. This is the precise wrong way to talk about this stuff. It is extremely flip. It is the worst of all possible venues. And it leads me to believe that he's not divulging the stuff that he consumes in the presidential daily briefing, but he's just being Scranton Joe, logoreic as he is, reading the room and saying what the room would react to, because this is not how this would work. The first, first of all, he did exactly what I said not to do, which is to incept the idea in the public that a detonation of any kind and of any sort will automatically lead to a strategic nuclear exchange and global annihilation. That's not what would happen. He's wrong. That's false. Just to go to the very end of the flow chart here is the wrong way to think about this sort of thing. But that's what he's incepting in the public and creating unnecessary um, urgency and confusion around this issue. What Biden needs to do is talk about deterrence, how deterrence works, why it's important, what it looks like. He probably shouldn't close the door on a full-scale nuclear exchange, but that's extremely unlikely, and he should say as much. It definitely wouldn't undercut the American position to say as much. We have generations of work that we've done on this stuff. I've done a lot of reading about it. I know about it, and it's the sort of thing that the public needs to know a little bit about because their mind does go directly to the day after tomorrow or whatever, you know? Um, they, they automatically see missiles going off in Lawrence, Kansas in their heads. But that's not how this would work. That's not what it looks like. And the president needs to be a lot more sober about the crisis he says is the world's worst crisis ever. John, I think you're right that what he went to immediately is the idea of himself as JFK. Well, and if it, if the crisis was as imminent and as terrifying as he made it out to be to Democratic donors at a party, shouldn't he be at the White House <laughs> thinking through all of the things you said? That's I mean, why it's not yeah. serious. That's why I don't yeah. think he's being serious here, because this is very serious stuff. And he's talking about it really flippantly uh, in a way that betrays perhaps a, maybe a little less urgency than he's trying to communicate. Well, he's talking about it. And I think, you know, Look, I've said this before, and in, in, in some ways, I think Biden is more Trumpy than Trump. Uh, Trump did this, too. 
he's talking about it as if he were a commentator, you know, uh, not not as if he's involved. But a really uninformed commentator, very well, Trumpy, well, like well, the most style. uninformed, just a, 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 an hysteric, really, right? I mean, he's saying he's saying, look, if Putin uses a weapon, then it's Armageddon. I mean, that's essentially what he said. This is. I can't think of something worse to hear from the president of the United right. States at this time. And, and it says something that the markets aren't reacting at all. Markets are up. They don't think he's in <laughs> charge and wait. They're waiting for the walk back. Right. When the walk back will come today, one assumes. Right. right? Yeah. Someone will walk it back from his administration, as they always have to do. Also, by the way, this this comes in concert with these stories about the U.S. buying up these anti-radiation drugs. Have you seen these stories? Yeah, I have not. So. I saw Kiev is so distributing have, uh, iodine pills, but I didn't see anything about us. Okay, so we have, uh, he's talking about it the wrong way. He's standing outside being a commentator rather than the president. And uh, talking this way is going to uh, induce uh, panic or an unknowing uh, misunderstanding or something like that. And uh, no one's taking him seriously because the markets aren't aren't tanking. I think it's interesting because I think everybody is still operating, unlike Noah, everybody's still operating from the principle that while we can rhetorically say, oh my God, look how close we are, we're on the brink. If we had the clock on the bulletin of atomic nuclear scientists, we would move the clock to one minute to midnight and blah, 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 right? Which, by the way, they did under Trump, and we'll see if they move that clock now, I guess. But I think it has to do with climate change now. Now it's the climate change clock. Okay, but I don't think people really think that this is a serious prospect. It's it's certainly not. It's like a parlor game conversation that we're having here. That that if if we were really if we really thought and granted we have no reason to think because according to everything that we're being told, there's no evidence that Putin's moving anything around with the with the sole exception of the story about the nuclear submarines moving from the Arctic. We have no evidence that anything is changing in the Russian nuclear posture and all of that. So there's no reason to think that there is any kind of that the threat is advancing except rhetorically or theoretically. And yet I think that we are we are finding ourselves or the planet or the elites are finding themselves incapable of actually thinking that this could happen, including Biden. In other words, if Biden meant what he said, sort of like what Christine said, this would be just like all, you know, battle stations, like everybody, you know, we're sitting in the situation room 18 hours a day going through every conceivable scenario i need to know what we have what we have to hand what we can do what methods we have to interdict uh to prevent or to you know deter the the actual emergence of this threat um if if it if it comes and instead we're just having a kind of thumb sucking conversation about this. Even we did that earlier this week, but he's the goddamn president of the United States. And now he's doing it. Like, what is this? The world is a, like I said, the world is a, like a late night dorm room. Let's game this out. Everybody. I mean, this is like Armageddon says the president. We've never been closer to Armageddon past the canopy. <laughs> and pass your checkbook 
that that's remember that's, this is a fundraiser. And that's what I feel like. That's why I'm not taking this very seriously because of the venue and the flip way he's talking about it betrays a lack of seriousness. So I'm actually kind of reassuring to in a in one way, not you know, not much faith in the administration, but. It's not 1962 in two ways. One, it's the crisis is not anywhere remotely close to what we experienced in October of 62. And the second is that it's not 1962 insofar as we won't need Joe Biden to tell us that a nuclear standoff is unfolding. The information environment, the media environment is much different than it was in the 1960s. We there's It's very highly likely that the information that would suggest that Russia is moving assets around in a very conspicuous way would not come to us first from the president of the United States. Um, here's another quasi hopeful note here. Um, we've said all along one one of the positive and I think surprisingly positive things about the the U.S. response during all this is that our intelligence about about what Russia's been up to this whole time has been really good. Um, we've sort of known the their Putin's next move uh, every step and kind of used that and put that out there beforehand. Um, maybe the administration has some sense, um, so a handle on the idea that that they are in fact not in any sort of um, changed nuclear posture here. More, they, maybe they have more detail on that than than we know. Well, that'd be nice. Uh, yeah. Maybe. I mean, it doesn't seem as though there's a threat that's imminent. I. I continue to believe that a nuclear standoff is more likely than not at a certain point in this conflict if the conflict continues along a straight line trajectory and Ukrainian forces find themselves on the borders of Crimea and entering deep into the Donbass, which is conceivable in the next several weeks. Uh, I don't see how they how Putin de-escalates, which is why we do need to talk about this in a very sober and serious fashion. Well, I mean, first of all, a nuclear standoff is the, what we want. We want a standoff. Standoff means nothing happens. That's what a standoff is. Well, you yeah, but somebody brain. has to blink, and I would prefer it be them. But not not in a standoff. That's what a standoff is. A standoff is two people standing in front of each other, each with a gun, and nobody fires. I mean, that's a standoff. And we're yeah, sort somebody of, has to lower the weapon. Right. And it well, be at some point, but not. that's when the standoff ends, is when someone lowers the weapon. Or fires the weapon so so um but can we can, yeah. it's not as if i mean back in what was it last in the spring wasn't there didn't biden publish some op-ed or something about nuclear stuff in the times and and so jake sullivan has given interviews over the last you know several months during the ukraine conflict saying they have a team that's you know got options in case you know the look the professionals are thinking through this they have been thinking through this strategically what strikes me is really terrible though is that the person who should be the most grave serious and and um you know committed to very careful language about this which is the president of the united states is doing the most harm to even the plans his administration is likely developing we really hope they do have a team that's thinking through all of these options i'm sure they are um that's what the that's that's the job of people at the State Department and defense. Uh, but I think Abe's right. Like he's gotten more Trumpy as he's gotten into his presidency in the sense that he just kind of shoots at the hip. And I think he thinks the American people find that charming. And sometimes it can be. But when it comes to things like, oh, I don't know, inflation, crime rising, potential thermonuclear war, yet not so funny to shoot from the hip. And he doesn't seem to get that distinction. Um 
I wanted to bring something up earlier this week. Uh, I think we were offering Yom Kippur, so there was no way to do that. But um, there was this very odd moment this week, which I believe to have been a setup to create something viral, uh, like a TikTok or something. I don't even know if it's happening. But, you know, there was this moment when when Biden was in Florida and he was face to face with this mayor in Florida. And then he said in a, quote, hot mic, unquote, moment, no one Fs with a Biden if you watch that, it's I'm pretty sure it's staged. Like they wanted to have a moment where there was a clip for again, like for TikTok or social media consumption, where Biden is heard to say no one Fs with a Biden. And if I'm right about that, it just doesn't matter. It's not significant or anything, except except for the degradation of everything point that is, you know pretty bad um but um like that's what they're sort of like doing with their time is like sitting around thinking this is a this is a good message to impart it's you know will rally that democrats will love it or young people will love it i don't know what the, who knows who thought what well they're also this is the same advanced team in the same setting that allowed ron DeSantis to speak in front you know behind a podium with the presidential seal on it like that's just not i mean I'm I think it's hilarious because I'm not a Democrat, but it's really funny. Like they he you know, he and Biden had the stage together. They they were talking about the hurricane response. And DeSantis was standing at the at the podium with the presidential seal while Biden stood behind him looking like Biden always does when he's on a stage, which is slightly confused. Not great optics if that's what they're going for. So speaking of optics, talk about a Rorschach test. So uh, in that same day, the Biden DeSantis day, uh, DeSantis was photographed wearing these white shrimper boots um, and immediately sort of liberal Twitter launched into the oh ho ho look how ridiculous he looks you know he's like Dukakis in the tank this picture is gonna you know and he did look kind of silly right like if they had been black you know if they'd been like you know classic galoshes or you know black rubber boots or something like that you wouldn't have noticed, but they called your eyes attention to them. And so are they right that this is like a thing? No, look, man, look, look, it's there's something about Florida people should understand. Like we only recently gave up acid wash denim like the rest of you moved out of that phase in the 90s. I mean, it, fashion is a different beast in Florida. So I give him total like he's actually extremely fashionable for a Florida dude. I, I totally approve of the boots. <laughs> But what do you guys think? Did he look silly? Do you think that's like a that's like something? I mean, first of all, it's the opposite of 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 Dukakis in the tank, because he was actually wearing sort of like very specific boots to the profession in the area that he was in. Not you know, whereas Dukakis looked like he didn't belong in the tank. Do you know DeSantis oh, just looks? He yeah, looks fine. I'm I'm sure it's a regional thing and. In two seconds, there's going to be a move. We're going to be dealing with the white boots, you know, like the yellow jackets. Like they're, yeah. they're going to they're going to organize around the whole image. Okay, yeah, it's perfect. Like okay. Embrace it like the the, the deplorables. Yeah. Just just uh, it just it just came up, but um, so uh, not to get into sort of like since we're now Sanders and Biden, and you know, moving from the from the you know genuinely like existential to the more ridiculous. I'm fascinated by the um 
manic quality of the coverage of the last month of the midterm elections because you you can literally every 10 minutes find yourself in a narrative that says democrats have lost the thread the news is turning on them the polls are not moving in their direction anymore and things are going or the opposite which is yes things are good and they're you know and blah 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 they're still they're not only defying gravity but uh, things are moving in their direction the cook political report just moved seven races seven races toward uh, um toward the democrats in the house 10 races shift mostly toward democrats now by the way that's a little silly because what that means is they say that a state that a that a that a seat is for leaning democratic to lightly democratic so there's uh, we're toss up to lean democratic and i don't first of all i don't know reading some of these descriptions is very suspicious making like that they that uh, dave wasserman of the cook political report who is a pretty partisan guy uh good vote vote counter but um his analyses are problematic uh and very much lean in the direction that he wants them to lean so for example he's moved in florida's 27th district he they've moved the district uh, represented by maria elvira salazar from likely r to lean r and here's why Quote, it's easy to write off South Florida after Donald Trump surged in 2020 and Republicans redrew this seat from Biden plus three to Trump plus one. But Democratic State Senator Annette Tadeo, a Colombian immigrant who started a successful translation business, has been on air for two weeks hitting Salazar on abortion. The GOP and aligned Congressional Leadership Fund just reserved $1.7 million in airtime, a sign they're taking the race seriously. But seriously, because there's an ad up attacking Salazar on abortion, they move the seat from likely Republican <laughs> to lean Republican. That's wish casting. That's not that there, there's nothing data driven about that. That's just that's just hope uh, over experience. And I, I I just so there is, as I say, I think we're, we're now in the manic phase here where uh, the the where there's just no way to know what's going on because um, everybody is like just retreating to their priors and plucking information out that will help them. They really did convince themselves that this midterm in August would look like 2002 or 1998. They had right. those those are the midterms where the president in power actually gained as opposed to law the party with the yeah, president. I mean maybe not 36, yeah. but or not 36. Yeah, no 30, 34. Yeah. Thank you. Uh yeah, no it's uh I mean, it was silly at the time because the fundamentals of the election were the fundamentals of the election. And there had been an August news story that changed the dynamic a little bit. But they really did believe that maybe they could pull this off. And they I, they still haven't still haven't sacrificed that that very comforting narrative. But you do see like uh, I was struck uh, this week that uh, the Arizona Senate race, Mark Kelly actually called the border situation a mess. I mean, that's that that's unusual. I mean, they have not been talking about the problems that a lot of Americans are worried about, and particularly uh, Americans who live along the border have been worried about this for a while. And this is in direct conflict with the message of the administration, which, as we know from the vice president, you know, the border is secure. Everything's fine. Nothing to see here. So they are trying to find those wedge issues, uh, which suggests, 
you know, they're worried about it. They know voters are worried about it. And I also I've, I don't know if I'm seeing something here, but Biden's rhetoric in certain about certain uh, races has gotten them a lot more vitriolic. I mean, Ron Johnson, he does not like Ron, <laughs> once Ron Johnson out, but he's picking and choosing and using this ultra MAGA rhetoric with particular candidates. Um, obviously, he's looking ahead to, to reelection and, and these are in states that he's going to need to win if he runs in 2024. But it just the the, the Democrats both acknowledging the problems that they have thus far ignored and Biden's rhetoric heating up strike me as more that under the surface, whatever they're saying, whatever Pelosi is saying, well, oh, we're going to win seats. They're worried. They're still worried. Um, meanwhile, it, uh, there was uh, last night, I guess, there was the the first and probably the only debate in Arizona between, between the aforementioned Mark right. Kelly and Blake Masters, uh, the Republican. And something very interesting happened which is that each of them ran away from the putative leader of their own party so not only did um did kelly di uh, distance himself from biden uh he said he told biden he was wrong when the president decided he was going to do something dumb on border policy and masters who was an election denier said uh joe biden was the legitimate president he's duly sworn uh he's absolutely the president legitimate he's in the white house so this is interesting to me because it seems that neither of them is comfortable with where he is and they're both now pushing to seize some some there, this is a race that's going to come down to undecided voters. Masters needs to be separated from Biden to get them, and Ma uh, Masters needs to be separated from Trump, and Kelly needs to be separated from Biden. That's a very interesting set of circumstances because if you were following the press coverage of this race through, say, a week ago, you would have thought, and that was the only thing that you were following, you would have thought that Masters was toast that the, he was done kelly was solid you know he masters didn't have money and mcconnell and peter Thiel were fighting over getting him money and trump wasn't coming in with money blah 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 and apparently it's all garbage like basically it's going to be it's going to come down to turnout it's going to be a very close race it's not clear who's going to win and uh and and that's why you just you you can't Again, I go back to this, the manic quality of the way this is this is being covered. Like, it is almost like the press has now become emotionally unstable. Now? Uh, not that the press hasn't often seemed emotionally unstable. I mean, after all, Taylor Lorenz works for the Washington Post, and she is deeply emotionally unstable. But, uh, uh, you know, I just mean, like, it's, um, it's just... It, it's like well, it's I don't all... know. I mean, they're not acting well. First, Herschel Walker's a you know, very mercurial kind of ethereal figure. Doesn't seem to be entirely in touch with the world we live in. Um, but Blake Masters is a very sharp guy, and he's acting like he's in a little bit of trouble. Between him and what's his name, Bulldog in North Carolina, North Carolina, New Hampshire, both of whom campaigned on the idea that Joe Biden is an illegitimate president, won the nomination, and did an immediate immediate pivot, uh, which tells you a lot of things. The first of which is that. Everybody knows this is a lie. Even Republican voters know it's a lie. 
they don't feel betrayed by this pivot to the general. They're not going to drop their support for these candidates. It's a secret handshake. It's not a statement of fact. It's an assertion of tribal affinities. I don't agree. Um, these Every twist and turn and permutation uh, on the part of their candidates can be explained away. It, that doesn't mean that the the explanation is yeah wink wink we we know we know the the election wasn't fixed i think they can explain it all away by saying look he's got to play the game we we know we know the game is 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 that this is the lie now he has to tell the lie that that the that biden is the duly elected president i don't by the way i'm still shocked that they have pivoted in this direction at all i didn't expect it no but they're they're pivoting because the data must be unambiguous. That that that's the point here. That's no secret. I mean, it's not like you need a, you know, a, a internal poll to know that. Public data suggests as much too. No, but 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 the pivot that we're talking about here means that it is like the the data are very serious. In other words, like if you're not willing to say that Biden is a legitimate president, there is this X population of people that you can get that you are not going to get. You need to go on the record and say he's a legitimate president because you're you're leaving votes on the table if you don't. That's what's striking to me. In other words, what, what hasn't happened, and I think it's a valuable thing to know, what hasn't happened is that we are in a place where people are like, well, yeah, Republicans say that Trump was elected, was, 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 you know, was, was actually the elected. And that's what they're going to say and whatever. And, we're just going to go with that and it's fine and accept in sort of house. I think that does, that is fine in house races because those districts are drawn, you know, the gerrymandering is so, is so uh, prevalent and, and the districts are now so heavily tilted one way or another, but not in these Senate races and maybe not in the gubernatorial races either. I mean, the, 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 the election deniers are not doing <clears throat> in statewide races, the election deniers everywhere you turn are not doing well or or it is handicapping them that they are election deniers not that they are and by the way that's true of stacy but let, let let's make it bipartisan stacy abrams is all but out of this race you love to now, see it <laughs> you love to see it well, and so she, much she so goes, that she's now denying that she's an election denier she's, she's denying that she denied it and then so it's it's prompted of course you gotta love like all the republican organizations just it, within seconds of her spouting that nonsense on cable news had a supercut of all the time she's publicly stated that she was yeah. the rightful governor of georgia i mean it's, she can't get away with it i mean this speaks to the earlier point about the information environment we're in that noah was making about uh, uh, from a foreign policy perspective it's true of domestic politics too she'll just continue to lie she is that is kind of her mo and the media gives her a big assist in that but she can't escape what's circulating among you know on social media and in other news outlets that that a lot of for voters in Georgia pay attention to I just it's I think we're in a we're in a very it's a very interesting situation and more heartening in my mind given everything we say about how terrible everything is that races in this country that are close hewn are going to be decided by people who aren't necessarily you know, sort of like on the battle, uh, you know, are, aren't in the aren't at the front of the of the battle on the on the craziest 
ideas that we face. And by the way, not that I think it's crazy, but that's also true of the shift in the importance of the abortion issue, according to polls. Almost every subject poll shows that abortion has receded as a central issue. Now, it's a new issue. And I mean, new issue in the sense that, you know, really hasn't it hasn't sort of like registered as a major issue for several cycles. And it's now registering as a major issue. And to the extent that it is a major issue, it is tilting in favor of the Democrats. But like in June, it was up, right? Or June or July, it was sort of up in the two, top two or three. And it's now properly where it should be down, you know, down around seven or eight. And this again gets the point that the issue set that voters say they care about should indicate that we are headed for a wave. I mean, if the top three issues are, you know, inflation, crime, and the border, that's a wave. Like, if it isn't a wave, then then people aren't voting on issues that they care about. They're voting on, you know, on whatever, it is, on, on, on emanations and penumbras of personality and all of that, and Republicans going too far or whatever. But um, everything except the polling <coughs> is indicating that uh, the, the, the race is heading in one direction, and that's the Republican direction. Now, polling is usually congruent with this. So if it's not, we're going to have a terror. We're going to have yet another 2014. The polling is broken because the polling in 2014, people will remember, did not register the fact that Republicans were going to win nine seats. I believe the polling showed Republicans were probably going to win one or something like that. Republicans won nine seats in the Senate in 2014. That was the first, oh, my God, the polling is broken. I mean, there was polling is broken stuff in 2012 because the final polls had had um, Obama and uh, and Romney effectively tied um, sort of like 49 49 and of course Obama won by four but that wasn't like that that wasn't like just missing a surge in one direction you know in the last month so uh, with that let me talk to you guys about our friends at Policy genius, we hope we never need life insurance, but mortgage payments, childcare, and other expenses don't disappear when you're gone. And the life insurance you get through your workplace may just not offer enough protection for your family's needs. Since life insurance typically gets more expensive as we age now is the time to buy. Policy genius gives you a smarter way to find and buy the right coverage for you and your family. Built to modernize the life insurance industry, Policy Genius's technology makes it easier. To, makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies like AIG and Prudential in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just seventeen dollars per month for five hundred thousand dollars of coverage. And Policy Genius has licensed agents who can help you find options that offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid unnecessary medical exams. They're not incentivized to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. There are no added fees, and your personal info is private. No wonder they have thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net. You deserve a smarter way to find and buy it. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Um. Okay, so uh, 
just to get back to sort of like the 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 John Ellis, you know, the the world is you know slowly catching fire everywhere you turn. Um, we are OPEC Plus decided to limit its uh, its uh, you know its its uh, oil uh, pulling up oil from from the ground, and uh, Democrats' response has been to get all hawkish about Saudi Arabia, right, and say you know. They're not our ally, and uh, we, uh, you know, <laughs> and then you have people, they're literally talking about oil export bans. Talking about oil export bans. What, 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 what is going on here? The Biden administration is talking about oil export bans? Oil export bans and curbs on oil production. At the same time. So that if there is a right, so it's it's as though I mean it's almost like Great Depression logic. It's like, oh, the economy is shrinking. So not only is the economy shrinking, let's choke off the money supply at the same time. You know that was sort of like you know that's the Milton Friedman ex- explanation for how how the Great Depression happened. Like we're having a problem because we're we're starting to see limitations in the amount of gas. Let's limit it more. Well, that's the same impulse that's leading California to mail everybody $1,200 to fight inflation. I mean, the political incentives run the opposite direction of what sound policy should be. Oh, my God. And, you know, talking about, like, payoffs or whatever, uh, we didn't, I didn't even mention, nor did John Ellis, this blanket pardon that Biden announced yesterday. Yeah, the pop pardons. Yep. Yeah. Um, so the the pardons are of people who were convicted of marijuana possession or use at the federal level not selling not buying just having it or using it and apparently there are several thousand people either not currently in the system but who have been in the system who are arrested at the federal level um what do you make of this i mean Okay, so, so we now yeah, go ahead. It's look, it's it's clearly a political move. I I don't have any problem with granting clemency to people who were whose only stain on their record is that they had small amounts of marijuana on their person for their personal use. They weren't selling it, they weren't, you know, doing anything else except using it before the laws changed in many states because having that on your record, especially if you were if you're convicted of this and you're a you're a felon, it's going to affect your ability to get jobs, housing. There's a lot of things. So I I don't have any problem with that particular thing that he did. However, it what he's using it as is a way of sort of signaling that he's for decarceration, like broader decarceration. And the problem, of course, is that the Democrats cannot be honest about who is actually in our prison system, both federally and, and particularly state prisons, which is where most prisoners are. These are largely people who have committed violent crimes. So if you want to start the decarceration thing, you can say, oh, look, we decarcerated these low level, you know, uh, marijuana convictions. Fine. Most people would not have a many people do not have a problem with that because the system seems to have overcorrected with drug policy earlier. So we're so we're kind of patching that up now. But it's not he's going to want to ride that as a kind of decarceration thing to to quiet his progressive uh, folks on his left flank. And that's not going to work. They want to really decarcerate. They want to let people who have been convicted of violent crimes out of prison. So that's going to be something he's going to have to address at some point. But this is not that it's not that many people either because it's the federal system. Most of most of the folks are in state prison systems who who still have who have had low level convictions right. for things like there's that. precisely zero people in prison who are in prison for a marijuana conviction 
Well, yeah. prior convictions. Well, so they've had priors. So yeah. yeah, no, I'm sorry. Ju- you can expunge that from their record. They're still in prison for something else. Right. Yeah. No. So it's 6,500 individuals with prior convictions for simple marijuana possession. So they will, there's, you know, so there's this blanket uh, moment. And, um, and so I, I, I don't know what to make of it, except to say that uh, this, this thing that Trump started uh, of um, making the pardon uh, on almost uh, gamesmanship, or, you know, f- 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 screwing around with the pardon power. Uh, I don't think that's a good thing. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if we're now in a position where people are going to be like, you know, find me some people to pardon, which is what yeah, Trump blanket pardons. Saying. People get uncomfortable with blanket presidential pardons. I think. Yeah. That's I mean, I don't think this is true. I don't think yeah. this just really doesn't fit that mold. State laws have changed in 39 states. Yeah. Recreational is legal in more than half the union. The federal government hasn't prosecuted a case like this since 2009. There's no money for it expressly. Yeah. The executive branch doesn't provide the DOJ money for this. This is a Schedule One drug, which, which suggests that it has no medical purpose, even though Congress funds the medical purpose that marijuana serves. It exists only as a source of hypocrisy for the government. The sooner that the government stops and being an engine of hypocrisy on this issue, the better. Well, I wouldn't call it hypocrisy. It's not hypocrisy. First of all, they have a law on the books and not refuse at the to federal prosecute level. It the changes are at the state level, number one. Number two. And the DOJ doesn't um, prosecute these crimes. I, I'm aware of that. And so I'm not, I'm not objecting, by the way, I'm not objecting to the pardoning. Um, am I objecting to the pardoning uh, 32 days or 31 days before the election? Yes, I am. And yeah, if but you I, want I it, mean, yeah, go ahead. I, I, I had been seeing something like this coming, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's more like this coming. To me, it, in this day and age, um, going ever more lax on weed is just a democratic gimme, you know. Right. Okay. It's just interesting. Like, you know, uh, even if he's doing something principled, he has managed to make it look like it's a raw, you know, uh, a political giveaway. I mean, that's uh, which I don't think is uh, is so uh, is so fantastic. Um, so we are, uh, by the way, inflationary pressures uh, are going to continue uh, because uh, employment rates continue to be decent. We just got numbers in the uh, um out this morning as we've been podcasting that uh, job numbers are up uh 263,000 which is more than was thought unemployment the unemployment rate is now at the at, a, at the 50 year low of 3.5% um and uh i mean on the one hand uh the wall street journal says this shows that the hot labor market has cooled some and on the other hand, an unemployment rate at 3.5% at a time of high inflation is, is in effect inflationary. I mean, it's not, I, I don't mean to like, you know, say that it's a zero sum game and like start preaching the Phillips curve, but, but, you know, the, the, the more upward this does, we, we have, and it's not a bad thing, but the, the more there is now going to be more upward pressure on wages. And that is. By the way, that's one of the reasons that the country is in a in a in a terrible catastrophe. Um, you know, you have you have wage wages up. You know, 
8% or something year to year, uh, you know, in the employment sector, which is basically offset um, the price increases. So people are at least at par and not losing value every day. But we are, but I'm just saying like, you know, it's an interesting it's an interesting one hand takes one hand gives and the other hand takes away for Biden that he can say just as Trump did by the way I'm presiding over this unbelievably amazing period of low unemployment and then simultaneously you know see nothing on the horizon that is going to uh not nothing but I mean you know very little on the horizon that is going to help him with this inflationary crisis um so and i want to finish on one point our friend um mary catherine ham uh published an absolutely astonishing piece last night on her substack about cnn where she is a contributor and how um and how she uh was basically suspended off the air on cnn for seven months because she and uh, Andrew Kaczynski of CNN had some, she doesn't even say what it is exactly, but some kind of dust up about Jeffrey Tubin and his, and his suspension from CNN uh, for his uh, disgusting personal behavior on Zoom. Um, and it is really, really striking because once again, it does suggest this, this story suggests that, if you're a conservative and you're 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 a woman, um, you know the kinds of the kinds of almost implicit protections that exist for liberal women just don't exist for you. Well, and worse, I have to jump in here because yeah. good for her. First of all, she's she's an awesome human being in any case, but she's also a brave one because when your job on t is going on television, she's she's one of the most civil conservatives who goes up regularly against you know liberal opponents and even when they're wrong even when they attack her she's always she's always civil she's she's a really great representative of conservative ideas on mainstream media but they tried to make it make they talk about gaslighting they tried to make it sound as if they couldn't break bad news to her because she was postpartum. So she's a mother of three children. She had just had her third child. And they were like, well, we don't want to upset you totally by playing into all the worst sorts of stereotypes about women. The idea that we're too hysterical once we've had children to actually think rationally and do our jobs. It's extremely condescending. And again, so hypocritical coming from a network that, you know, that that has on its on its roster plenty of liberals who would who would absolutely go ballistic if this were said about them. The original offense that allegedly produced this um was incontestably cnn people trying to get mary Catherine ham in trouble um she volunteered uh the note so maggie haberman said this is back in january maggie haberman said something about how uh you know shootings don't get much somebody had some republican has said or ron DeSantis had said that a shooting in one west palm beach didn't fit a you know narrative and so the the conversation went away and then maggie haberman was like well people cover shootings that's crazy Mary Catherine Ham said no. And after the congressional baseball shooting, 48 hours later, the news vans were gone. And then Andrew Kaczynski, her colleague, said, put up a picture of Mary Catherine Ham on CNN talking about the baseball game. And he's like, is this you? So he was going after her for being, um, a, you know, just, you know, being like, oh, you know, playing the victim. But here you are on CNN talking about the story. And she says, yes, 24, 48 hours after this happened. And then it went away. And she subsequently went on to say, 
um, you know, do you need to check the rest of my itinerary from that day? Uh, or is this, you know, is this just, just your, what, what point are you trying to make? And then you've got Jack to say about Cuomo and Tubin, she says, but you got to fact check me when you've got nothing. She was frustrated and she had every right to be, but even the invocation of these two figures that had gotten their network in a lot of trouble and were, were still somehow being protected by Jeff Zucker, um, what resulted in her having a suspension that was just four weeks shorter than Jeff Tubin's. Well, and which was never described to her as a suspension. It was just like, right. oh, and there's not- writing, there's a paper trail, which is stupid <laughs> for for one thing. If you're gonna if you're gonna behave this way, you should do it. You should uh, make your plans on the telephone. Well, as as she says, uh, everybody who was involved in the decision to quiet suspend her, as she calls it, is no longer there. So, so you know the new regime. Yeah, but good for her for telling the story because they also wanted to quietly have it all. They wanted her to be quiet and stay quiet about what had happened to her, and that's where I think she is really brave to just come out and say, you know what, I don't, I don't have to be quiet. This is how I was treated. You can judge for yourself whether that seems fair. But they wanted her to just stay mom about how even under even though Zucker's gone, she was still treated badly. They should acknowledge how they did what they did. I'm just I, I I'm just startled uh, because um, yeah we'll see what happens now. Uh, the idea was that since she was postpartum, uh, she would uh, she would react um, in an excessively emotional fashion that they just couldn't have. This is something Don Which Lemon you, did I'm sorry, to, but uh, masturbating on a Zoom call is not excessive. But having had a child, this is something Don Lemon hysterical. did. I think to Essie Cup the other day, where she Essie got caught up in her words or something like that, and uh, Don Lemon just casually accused her of having mommy brain on air. Like this is not misogyny. Well, what's not misogyny? These this these comments. They are. Misogyny. It's like yeah. it's incredible yeah. misogyny. It's like yeah. saying it's like accusing a woman of being on her period when she has a, a thought that you disagree with. It's incredibly bigoted. It's very it, it's so 1950s, too. I mean, all these enlightened progressive men with their right. and, with and if, their showing their showing their true feelings about about women. And if any of these people had a conservative inkling at all politically, and they would be judged accordingly. Right. Uh, that's that's why this that's why this is an important moment or you know it's not i wouldn't say it's a culturally important moment but it's a it's a it's an illustrative moment that um and and this was happening as stuff was going down like it's not like uh, everybody thinks that zucker didn't eh, it all happened very suddenly i mean if you remember like cuomo was getting uh, maria uh, Andrew Cuomo was getting into trouble. There was a lot of trouble emerging in relation to uh, Chris, his brother, and why he was on the air and all of that. This was like a rolling story. And so there was some kind of weird batten down the hatches of, of effect uh, going on. And um, and and so, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Zucker, who is a, who is a very procedurally, not legally, but procedurally corrupt person, um, you know, was was obviously tap dancing ferociously uh, while his company was being taken over. 
by discovery and all of that and uh and 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 these kinds of games are are, are played um and so i just it, it it's it's well worth it still well doesn't worth explain to me if this is all known and this behavior was really an open secret why there was so many people mortgaged their reputations when jeff zucker was announced he was being he was leaving i mean these people just performed this it's, weird was, hagiographic look back on his like talking about him like he was comrade stalin it was very strange and because he was good he was good to them hmm. he was he was but he was gone what but he was gone your shield was gone why would you run out in front and, like put yourself in the firing line um, i don't understand I don't know. I think the impulse was, you know, they were all shocked and startled and he had been, you know, he, he was, he was considered somebody who was on the side of a lot of these people. And it's true. Like, look what, look what happened. Look what happened. You know, this guy come comes in and shuts down CNN plus and, you know, uh, is slowly, but pretty systematically revising the entire lineup. The Zucker, you know, gets rid of Brian Stelter, who was, you know, his little, you know, yappy Yorkshire Terrier, um, you know, uh, trained to attack, particularly Fox. R really effective, by the way. Brian Stelter's, you know, attacks on Fox really took Fox down. It's very, very impressive. Um, and so they, you know, they they reacted with, you know, with uh, funereal regret, and they were right to, is my point, because the because the. It, the bizarre thing was the boom times were over. You had a network that was sinking and sinking and sinking in the ratings. And they just were, they just kept doing what they were doing. Like it's was pretty fantastic for the people who liked what they were doing and worked there uh, to, you know, Zucker saying to them, no, no, we're still making a lot of money. Don't worry. Everything is fine. You know? Uh, and, you know, basically uh, being incredibly, uh, nice and supportive of the people that he liked and then you know pulling crap with people like mary catherine ham who he didn't have to do anything about anyway so uh so much that i'd be happy never to talk about jeff zucker again maybe god will uh, allow us that will allow us that um gift uh and uh, he is allowing us the gift of a weekend uh looks like a beautiful weekend where i am uh, trees, uh, leaves are changing color. My daughter, who is a college in Massachusetts, is sending me these astounding pictures of of the Berkshires uh, in 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 full autumnal glory, and uh, and it just looks like a great fall weekend. So please enjoy, enjoy. We'll be back on Monday. I know it's Sukkot, but we are we we did skip for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, but we will be. We will be here on Sukkot. So, you know, yes, I'm bad. You call me bad. You know, I'm going to have to, I, I, I get I get 10 days to atone next September for my scofflory uh, in, in, in doing a podcast on Sukkot. But anyway, if you are, in fact, doing proper by Sukkot, have a wonderful Sukkot holiday. Enjoy your lulav, enjoy your etrug, enjoy your, enjoy your sukkah. Uh, enjoy the meals, and we'll be back on Monday. So for a Christina Noam, John Podhoritz, keep the candle burning.